Good morning. So we've been working through this series on training for godliness. And uh, as we do that, uh, we don't want to just train and become really good at exercises to help us become more godly people. But we actually, like, if, if, we're, if we're making progress in training for godliness, we're going to grow in love, growing in love for God and his people. So I wanted to start with kind of an overview. Here, here's kind of where we've been in this series so far. We, we looked at uh, justification, which is a big fancy church word for being made right with God. Uh, when, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, you're in a position that will never change, that you are in right relationship with God. That's justification. But that, that position, that standing, it impacts what you do the rest of your life. Uh, it impacts your training for godliness because even though we train and fail uh, and, and fall and then we get up and we train again, um, we're not training to earn any favor from God. We already have God's favor. So, so our, we looked at how our justification affects our training. And then glorification is what's coming for all of us. Whether Jesus comes back or we pass away, uh, Jesus, Jesus promises he's going to make us perfect. And, and we'll, we'll no longer struggle with sin. Uh, and that hope, that future hope, changes us now. So we looked at how the future impacts our present training and in all that, we saw that training, even though we're not earning anything, it's an essential part of our salvation, what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, last week, we, we celebrated, and we looked at how celebrating is an important part of training, because otherwise you just get lost in the disciplines, lost in the drudgery of training. But when you make progress, uh, and, and it's true in spiritual training, it's true in physical training. If you make progress in a diet, if you make progress in a weight loss program or running a mile or doing push-ups or bench press, you should celebrate. Like, it helps us to remember why we're doing all the hard work that we're doing. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to look at training in the context of suffering. So you, you might wonder, like, okay, how can you celebrate and, and last week we looked at Philippians 4.4 4 where it says rejoice in the Lord always. H how can that be true and at the same time there, there's suffering in our life and in our training for godliness? Uh, and, and that's a good question. That, that highlights a, a tension in, in our theology and in our life. Tensions exist and we have to learn to live and to grow and to develop inside of those tensions and I think the best way, like you can study it, you can think about it, but the best way that we understand tension and paradox is from the inside, from actually walking with God through hardship, walking with God through confusion. And so when we talk about suffering today, uh, we're talking about it broadly, and, and it's a very complex topic. Sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves right? I mean, I've made choices that have had negative consequences and I've, I've, it's self-inflicted suffering. And, and there have been times when uh, I'm suffering and I don't know that I've done anything to bring it on myself. And, and then there's some times where I'm partially responsible and it's confusing. It's like, uh, I'm not totally, but I'm partially responsible for this suffering. But, but here's one thing that we do know. Everybody's going to suffer. Everyone will suffer in some way. 
and and we don't we shouldn't pursue it uh we don't have to but we have to pay attention to our suffering because god is inviting us to know him as we suffer as we go through suffering he's inviting us to be changed so the text for today our our biblical text is is a whole book of the bible we're going to cover yeah i know <laughs> we're going to cover the story of job and and it It'll be a quick overview, but this is a very important story about a man who who suffered in a way that he did not deserve the extent of the suffering that he went through. Job was a righteous man. He wasn't perfect, but he did live rightly. Not perfectly, but he, he consistently made right choices. He was a rich man. He cared about his family. In fact, Job starts by saying that his kids would go party. And Job, just in case they sinned or offended God in their their joyful living, he would pray and intercede for them. And so one day, Satan came into God's presence and uh, God says, hey, have have you noticed my servant Job? He fears me, he honors me, he lives his life well for, for me. And Satan's like, yeah, it's because you've given him everything he'd ever want. And so God basically loosens Satan's leash. Satan's like on a leash in this story. It's very clear that God has control. But he says, he says, okay, Satan, you can harm him. You can do ill to Job in his life, but don't touch Job. So, so he, he says, you can go this far, but no further. And Satan destroys all of Job's wealth and kills all of Job's kids in what would appear to be a natural disaster. It was supernatural because Satan was behind it. And here's how Job responds in, in verse, or chapter, chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. When Job learned about his kids dying, Job got up and he wept. He tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it says in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So that's incredible suffering, more than most of us know personally. But that's just the beginning of the story. Satan goes back into God's presence, and God is like, hey, look, you were wrong about Job. He's still faithful to me. And Satan says, well, it's because you didn't let me touch him. Just give me a little more leash. Let me access his body and Job will curse you, God, to your face. And God said, okay, but you can't kill him. Again, a little more leash, but God is the one in charge here. And so Satan gives Job this terrible disease and Job is absolutely miserable. Job's wife encourages him, hey, why don't you just curse God already? That's the advice, the counsel that Job's wife gives him. And Job's friends all come and they sit with him for seven days just mourning uh, the suffering, mourning the plight, the difficulty that Job is in. And, and most of the book records Job's interaction with these friends. They don't give Job very good counsel. Um, they, they were only silent with Job for seven days. And then they start speaking half-truths, which are actually total lies, because they don't apply to Job's situation. They say, Job, you you must have done something to deserve this, because God doesn't punish the innocent. But Job didn't do anything to deserve this. So he's he's suffering, and then his friends 
uh, pour a little bit of salt in his wound. And, and in all this, God does not make any sense to Job. Job cries out to God, pleading his case, and uh, at the end, God appears in such a way that Job is absolutely overwhelmed. In fact, Job acknowledges, even though he's been building this case, like, God, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Why would this be happening? And, and in doing so, he's kind of putting God on the, on, the, on the stand and saying, if I'm innocent, then what's your role in this, God? That, that's very much the implication as Job progresses uh, throughout the book. But at the end, Job confesses, I've heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. And, and we're going to come back to that statement. But, but at the end, God speaks to Job through a storm, and Job is overwhelmed at who God is. And he knows that God is in the right. He still doesn't understand his suffering entirely, but he knows that God is good. And God restores Job's wealth and gives him another ten children and a long life. And that's the book of Job. And there's many lessons in this book to, to walk away with, but I just want to highlight three, three ways to train well in the midst of suffering because we're all going to suffer. And even if your suffering doesn't look anything like Job's, these three ways to train will apply to you. They apply to all of us. And the first way to train, to use your suffering well, to be changed by it well, because it's, it's going to change all of us, is to pay attention to it. Pay attention to your suffering. Job never stopped feeling his pain. He was honest about it. He was even honest towards God about his confusion as to why it was happening. And it is more than okay to feel your pain. I think it's really good to express your pain in safe places and with people that you trust. Uh, the psalmist is another great example. Job isn't alone in the Bible. That Many of God's people throughout the ages have felt deep pain, great pain, but they've expressed it. And, and I'm actually reading through the Psalms in my time in the Bible each day. And uh, honestly, th there's only so much I can handle. <laughs> my emotional capacity uh, gets reached. And then he just keeps feeling, the psalmist just keeps expressing all these emotions. And I'm just, I'm, I'm burned out. Like I can't feel anymore. Um, but God can handle all of your feelings. I think that's one of the things that Job and the psalmist teaches us. God can handle even your worst feelings. Your extreme feelings, your angry feelings, your sad feelings. There's a whole book of the Bible, Lamentations, that's all about expressing grief. God can handle your feelings. Psalm eight, and, and it doesn't have to end with hope. Psalm 88 ends with no hope. He says, you've taken from me, he's talking to God, you've taken from me, my friend and my neighbor, darkness is my closest friend. Does your relationship with God, does my relationship with God, do we relate to God like he can handle our worst stuff, our biggest problems? He can, if we would let him. Take your feelings to God and don't let them become your God. 
when we train in taking our emotions, this is not something that we're going to do perfectly. That's why we train. But when we do this, when we train in this way, we actually become more compassionate people. Because we are in touch with our own suffering, we can be in better touch with the suffering of those around us. And there, just, just so you know, there's no Christian version of a drug or uh, anything that makes all bad feelings go away. <laughs> that, that's not what it means to be a Christian or to live the good life with God. The good life with God is available even in the midst of really bad, really hard times, really bad feelings. So, so take, take yourself to God. Like Jordan prayed this morning, even if you just feel out of sorts and you don't know how to handle your own feelings, yeah, God can handle your not being able to handle it. You're not knowing what you're doing, what you're feeling. The second way that Job instructs us this story as to how we can train for godliness in the midst of suffering is to wait and trust. This is really, really hard. Job's friends only did this well for seven days. Then, then they say, I can't keep quiet anymore. I got to say something. <laughs> and that was really foolish. And Job was waiting and trusting, but it grinded away at him. This grinds away at who we are, at our character. But it can grind away the parts of our lives that need grinded. Our self-reliance, our pride. And it's much easier to do this well at first. I think, you know, when Job says, God, you give and take away, blessed be your name. That's incredible. That's awesome. But over time, man, Job really struggled to wait and trust. It just gets harder the longer that we have to wait. But I think it's really important, at least for me, one of my mentors told me, and it's, it sticks with me, hard isn't bad. It's just hard. Waiting and trusting is hard. There's, there's no way around that. But it's not necessarily bad. And this, just so you know, these three steps, they're not linear like okay, I've done one, and now I'm doing two. Hopefully two's done soon so I can move on to three. Uh, it, it's just not that clear cut. It's, 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 it's engaging all of them kind of at the same time. Doing one and two, and then, and then moving on to three. We, we, we've got to pay attention to feelings, keep, pay, keep paying attention, then continue to wait and trust. And then number three, the third way to train for godliness is to let the old give birth to the new. Let the old give birth to the new. What do you mean? What is that? Letting the old give birth to the new. Well, we're all changing all the time. And so what this is saying is expect God to work good for you and for his glory. So at the end of this story, remember that statement Job made? He said, God, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. Job still didn't understand God completely. I mean, none of us can. God is eternal. God is infinite. We are finite. We are his creation. He is the creator. But we can know him as we walk with him through our suffering. 
as we walk with him through our lives. God doesn't change, but we do. Job's understanding of who God is changed. It deepened him. God used loss to enlarge Joel's soul. And God wants to use loss in our lives to enlarge our souls. A.W. Tozer is a famous theologian and one of his more popular quotes, it's, it's a difficult quote about suffering. He says, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Have you experienced that in your life? Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of experiencing that now. God does not do this because he's unkind, because he doesn't love you. In fact, it's the opposite. He does this because he loves us. And so I kind of want to take, uh, pu- push the pause button on Job and just go into a common struggle for Americans is anxiety. I've struggled with it. I have a, a number, a slew of friends who struggled with it. Uh, Google says that 20% of Americans are diagnosed with anxiety. I wouldn't be surprised if it was close to 50% who struggle with it in the undiagnosed category as well. And you might think anxiety is very small uh, suffering compared to Job's. But with anxiety, you're, you're afraid. And, and you're afraid of losing everything. Like in, in the worst case scenario, and Job lost everything. So I, I think there's some connection. And anxiety is also a complex case of suffering. Sometimes it's medical. Like you have, you have an imbalance of chemicals in your body that can lead to anxiety. Sometimes it's just because we have trained ourselves to think a certain way by repeated thoughts. We've developed patterns uh, that make us anxious. And, and sometimes it's just a mixture. Uh, I'm not against medication, but everybody needs heart renovation when it comes to the way that we think. And uh, w- w- whether it's anxiety or another suffering, you, you can... You can fill this in for your own life, but here, here's a path forward of walking with God through suffering. It starts with a vision. You have to believe that God really does work all things for good. All things for the good of those who love him. You have to believe that God is able and willing to change you, change you, and not just your circumstances. It, it starts with having a vision of who God is and what he might be doing in your life. But a vision isn't enough. We have to have intention. And intention is a lot different than wishing. Like wishing is like, oh man, it'd be great if this happened. Intention is, no, I'm going to make every effort to move this direction. And so intention is like, coming up with a deliberate plan. And you don't have to come up with it. You can ask God, hey, would you help me form a plan to engage this part of my life where I'm suffering, where I'm struggling? Help me to keep the vision by means of my intention. And then the intention actually has means itself, has expressions. So, so a means might be memorize some passages, like how Jesus talked about God loves the birds and He loves you so much more, Matthew 6. So don't be anxious because if God 
takes care of the, the flowers in the field and the birds of the air, how much more is he going to take care of you? Memorize that passage so that you're training yourself to think what's true. That that's a means to carry out your intention. Or, here's just another idea. Twice a week, call a friend and say, hey, here's what I've been anxious about. Twice a week, I just want you to ask me, how are you handling your anxiety? Are 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 you like, you know, keeping all your feelings inside? Or are you appropriately exploding at God like the psalmist does? Or you could just try journaling. That's helped a lot of people through the years. And and just create with God. This doesn't have to be a perfectly followed plan, but create a plan and carry it out and see what God does. And ultimately, as you do this, as, as we do this, we need to remember that success is not anxiety or success is not our suffering going away. Success is not it becoming less frequent or less intense. Success is changing who we are. Success is changing, God changing our character. Choosing more and more to trust God in the midst of your worries. Choosing to act, even though your anxiety wants you to not do anything. Becoming more bold, more hungry to see God root that out of your life. More eager to experience peace. And so when, when we walk through suffering, I think it's important to apply these things to ourselves directly. It's, it's not my place to say, all right, Jordan, um, let me come up with a plan for you. <laughs> this is for us. And then to walk alongside of others, that, that's our role. To just be present as their friend and to pray for them to feel their suffering as we feel our own suffering. But we can't take responsibility for other people's actions. We cannot fix people. We can merely point them to God, encourage them to draw near to God. And so if, if you are suffering, uh, I'd love to help, but I can only help so much. And, and other people would love to help you. That You don't have to go through this alone. That's what, just what I want you to hear. If you're in the middle of suffering, you do not have to go at it alone. But there is one person who makes this whole vision of suffering well possible. And that's Jesus. That's who the story of Job is really about. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, unlike Job, who was righteous but still at fault, like still, still not perfect, Jesus was perfect, totally faultless before God. And God protected Job from death. Even though Job kind of, he, he, he said, God, I wish that you'd put me to death. God protected Job from death. God did not spare his own son. But he used his suffering to bring about new life. So look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 8 with me. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent or loud cries, with tears to the one who could save him from death. Jesus wasn't saved from death. But what did he do? He paid attention to his feelings. He expressed himself openly, honestly, with God. And he brought along some close friends so that they could hear. 
they could hear Jesus pouring his heart out to God. And he was heard, even though he didn't get what he asked for. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned who God was, and, and he's fully God. <laughs> but in his humanity, he was shaped. He was formed in the midst of his pain. As he waited and trusted, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus let the old give birth to the new in his life and through his life, offering eternal salvation, which again, is not just for later. Eternal salvation starts right now. It's knowing God. That's what eternal life is. And so, what's the point of all this? If we're all going to suffer, I just want you to know, God does not expect perfection from you. You can be like the psalmist and pour your heart out to him. Learn like Jesus did to wait and to trust God in the midst of the difficulty and to trust that God is going to birth something new in your life and through your life in the midst of suffering. He doesn't expect perfection, just moving in this, dire in this direction. See, Job, when Job went through this, he didn't have a category for why the innocent would suffer, how God could let that happen. And in Jesus, we have a category for that. <laughs> it still does not make sense. Why God would suffer himself? If you can make sense of that to me, Tell me after the service. But in that, we see that God is good. Letting the innocent suffer in our place and giving us not just forgiveness, but life. The good life. The life with God. And the only thing worse than suffering I'm almost done, so just th get this. The only thing worse than your suffering is meaningless suffering. The facts of the gospel make it clear that your suffering does not have to be meaningless. God came, he suffered and died, he was raised back to life for our good and for God's glory. So your suffering, when it's tied into the gospel story, it's not meaningless. God has a good purpose in the pain. Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge uh, the difficulty of this truth, this, the difficulty of living this. And pray that you would help us to know this truth from, from the inside, from our own experience, walking with you through suffering, so somehow to experience your power in our weakness. So we, we just want to spend some time right now talking to you about our pain, about our suffering, because you can handle it.
We ask for your help in the, in the waiting and in the trusting. God, would we, would we remember that you're good when it does not feel like you're good? It doesn't feel like you're with us. Would we especially press in to learn from you, King Jesus, in those times? And if there's a specific step that we need to take next, would you make that clear even this morning to us? As we continue in worship, just just uh, think in your mind and talk to God about the old giving birth to the new and how Jesus is the picture of that, laying his life down so that we could have a new life with the resurrected Christ.